0: One of the most troubling and perplexing questions that we're faced with nowadays is the discord and the disunity amongst the Jewish people and especially amongst the Orthodox. They seem to be fragmented and factionalized and the question becomes when does one become tolerant? When is one supposed to become flexible? When is one supposed to stand up for principle even at the expense of harmony and at the expense of disunity? We find that by Purim. The miracle came to the Jewish people the salvation came when they united and they became as one we see the greatness of shalom of peace for that reason we find rach welevitz explains that that was one of the keys to the whole miracle of purim as well as the reacceptance of the torah that's why esther told the Jewish people Leich kenois as kol ha-Yehudim, gathered together the entirety of the Jewish people all the Jewish people let them fast let them unite let them pray to HaKodosh Baruch Hu for salvation and that's how the salvation came for that reason we have a very unique mitzvah in Purim called Manos Ish Ishlerayehu this of course is not merely providing for the needy giving charity that's what Manos is. Ish Ishlerayehu is a unique mitzvah because it means to even give to rich people it means to to promote harmony and friendship between man and fellow man Purim, therefore, represents a form of unity. The miracle came about as a result of the unity, and that is one of the lessons to learn out from Purim. The results of this unity, we know, is sinas chinam, the factionalization, as the netziv elaborates in many places, and that's what Hurben Bayesheni came about, the sinas chinam. The discord and the bickering and the infighting amongst the Jewish people led to the dissolution of the Jewish state of, the, of Hurben, and led to Hurben Shani. When there is sin when there is pirud, when there is separation, there is korban. When there is unity and harmony, when there is chaverus, then there is salvation. The word haver, a friend, comes from the word chibur, to unite, to connect. Whereas with a little bit of a change from a chaver, you can get a cherev. Cherev, of course, is a sword. From that comes the word korban and chareva, desolation, destruction, and ruin. From internal strife and bickering, you get civil war, you get Chorban. When we come to Hanukkah, though, the message becomes a little bit blurred. There's a somewhat of an ambiguity over here. On the one hand, we have the same lesson of unity. The Kriya for Hanukkah is the Hanukkah HaMizbeach of the Nisim, which culminates on the eighth day of Hanukkah, where we read, Zois Chanukas HaMizbeach, and we read the beginning of Parshas Baaloscha, where Aaron is commanded, to light the menorah, daber aron v'mar toy lof haneros. When you light the neiros of the menorah, Al mu pnei ha menorah, your iru shivas haneros. All of them should face the central stem. Vayaskei aron el mu pnei ha menorah hello neirosel aron did as he was told. He lit it the way he was commanded. Kasher Hashem, and it says v'zem masa ha menorah mikshazav adirecha. The menorah was yoon from one solid piece. Mikshah it was one solid piece says this for now the symbolism of the seven branches of the menorah has three on the right stem three on the left he said that refers to the orha you mean, and the light that comes from the right wing the orha smaller than the light that comes from the left wing if it faces the kona tzoy, the central stem which is the ikra menorah in other words you need the unity Shekain roi shekavonas hamaiminim that those that are the right wingers which he refers to as ho'oski mechayi olam the right-wingers are those that study Torah, Torah alone, and Torah only, all day long. All Hamas day long. those that he calls the left-wingers, those are the ones that are preoccupied with business endeavors and other worldly matters. they're supposed to help those that are on the right. The left-wingers are supposed to help the right-wingers. And he brings down the gemara, and chul, and af tzadik be'ez ha'men that says, if not for the leaves, the grapes wouldn't be able to be preserved properly. And therefore, as a result of the unity and the harmony between them, it'll bring about the will of God. That as a result of the unity, the togetherness of all of them, that's how God's will will finally come to pass. Together they'll be able to praise Hashem, just like we find by Kabbalah satayra, as it says, kolom only united together can we fulfill All of the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's impossible for one yid For one individual to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs Some are for Kohanim Some for Levim Some for Yisraelim Some for male Some for female It's impossible to do all of them But united we can fulfill all 613 mitzvahs And that's the purpose of how the Torah was given to Klal Israel In a united manner And that's why it says and when they are united in this manner, and Osdio, Iru, Shivas, Haneros, all seven lights, everybody, everybody's individual light, will light together, call Hashiva, your Iru or Elion Isra. And as a result, we'll be able to have the flow of the, of the light from Hakoshborhu to Clau Israel. And this forno reiterates it further, he says, that's why the menorah was miksha from one solid piece. Not only is the lighting representing a unity, but the actual creation of the menorah, the formation of the menorah. That's why there's an obligation to make the menorah of one solid piece. In order to show the unity and the oneness, the achdus for the one purpose which is the purpose of the Menorah. So on the one hand, the Menorah represents a unity of the Jewish people, similar to what we said about Purim. And therefore, Hanukkah requires a kind of unity, a unified front amongst all the Jewish people. On the other hand, we find that Hanukkah was in a sense a form of a civil war. The main war of Hanukkah, the Zayden the Yad does not refer to Goyim. The Zayden refers To the misyavnim, it refers to those wicked with wicked intentions, which the Chashmanoim had to fight against. And the main war of Chanukah was fought against the misyavnim that were Jewish. Chanukah was, in effect, a civil war amongst the Jews themselves. This seemingly is at odds with the theme of the menorah, and the opposite of the theme of Purim, which we've just described. We don't have a mitzvah of mishloach by Chanukah, just like we have by Purim. Chanukah was a war of Jew against Jew. Misyavni against Hashminoi. And we find a similarity in a way with the war of the Levim against the Jewish people by the eagle, That HaKadosh Baruch sent Moshe down and he told him that and when Moshe beheld the eagle, he lets out a proclamation Mi LaShem And here we find All of the shaved Levi comes to him and with their zealous zealotry, their kinah, they did a makas against their brethren, against their fellow Jews. And that's why we find that in Parshas Osah Bracha, Moshe Rabbeinu praises them by saying, Es echov lo hikir. They didn't recognize their brothers. Kishamur shomur mosecho Saru, because they kept the covenant of HaKadosh Baruch even against their brothers. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu tells them in Parshas Kisisa, Simu ishcha al yoreichai. Each man should gird himself with his weapons of war Vihu Ish es Ochiv, Ish As Rehu, Vish As Kroivai. Kill your brother, kill your friend, kill your relative. We find similarly that Pinchas was also zealous on behalf of who likewise a Kohen, and he killed Zimri. And this was the source and the root of the kin of the Khashmunoim that they began the revolution, the revolt by killing a fellow Jew. So in a sense, Hanukkah represents Kanois. It represents a form of civil war, of this, of war between Jew against his fellow Jew, not peace, not achdus, but a willingness to stand up for principle at the cost of harmony and peace. Intolerance rather than tolerance. And therefore Hanukkah seems to represent kanois and intolerance. That's the opposite of Purim, the opposite of what we said from the menorah. And there isn't a mitzvah of gift-giving by Hanukkah. Although there's a popular custom nowadays which we've taken from the Goyim of giving gifts by Chanukah, but Mishloi Achmonos Ishleriehu is a mitzvah by Purim. It's not a mitzvah by Hanukkah. There is no mitzvah to give gifts by Chanukah. So how do we integrate these two themes of Chanukah? The Chassam Sofer explains regarding the Possek. No Shalom For the sake of my brother, my friend, I will speak of peace. Laman beis Hashem al-kenu. For the sake of the house of the Lord, Avakshatavloch, I will seek what is good for you, Hakkadish Barhu. Says the Chsam Cypher. When we're speaking of interpersonal relationships, when we're speaking of human matters and endeavors and manners and all kinds of things between man and fellow man, then a person has to be flexible, a person has to be civil, you have to be tolerant, you have to be forgiving and foregoing. Willing to compromise. Because then we say, Godol HaSholom, Great is peace. <speaking> Therefore, <in> L'man When it comes to matters between man and his fellow man, Adab <speaking in Hebrew> Rano We utilize Sholom as the key. But when we're speaking of spiritual matters, When we're speaking about Leman Beis Hashem Melokeinu, About the house of God, Then the theme is no longer compromise. The theme is no longer pursuing peace. To be forgiving and foregoing and flexible. Rather at this point, the main key is Avaksha Tovloch. I seek what is good for Hashem. And one can add to this as well that when we say Avaksha Tovloch, that we seek what is good for Hashem, we're also seeking what is good for our fellow man. But we're looking for what's good for him rather than what's for peace and harmony and serenity between us. And sometimes people don't even necessarily know what's good for them. Just like we find the same theme by the creation of the wife or man, where it says Azer Kinegdo, that Chazal tell us sometimes you have to be an Azer, you have to help, and sometimes it has to be Kinegdo. It has to be opposite him. It has to be in a confrontational manner, because the theme here is not Shalom. Shalom is not the main goal. The main goal is Tov. And when we're dealing with Tov, sometimes you go about by helping, by complementing and supplementing, and sometimes you have to go with confrontation and sometimes you have to break apart rather than build together and sometimes you have to be intolerant rather than tolerant, inflexible rather than flexible when we're looking for what's good for Beis Elokeinu and for Klau Yisrael and for Nishmas Yisrael and for spiritual matters then we look for Tov we don't look for Sholem sometimes you have to be an Ezer sometimes you have to be Kinegdo let's expand on this thought a little bit about what does it mean to separate Pirud to disunite the truth of the matter is when we're talking about the of Migdosh, we're talking about the source of Kedusha in the world Kedusha Tara purity and holiness what is Kedusha and Tara what is holiness and purity we know that Hashem tells us kedushim Tiyu the word Kedusha represents Prushim Prishus Havdalah. when we make kiddush, or when we make Havdalah. We're in effect making boundaries and separations. We're making divisions. In a sense, one could say that kedusha means divisiveness. Divisiveness is what kedusha, in a sense, represents. You're making a division, a separation between the holy and the profane. That's what tara is. Purity. Purity means separation from the polluted, from the contaminated, from tumah. The base of was the mukor hakedusha, was the source of kedusha. That's laman base hashem alakenu. Kedusha is precious. Kedusha is havdala, kedusha separation. The miracle of Hanukkah emanated from a flask of oil, and that flask of oil was sealed with the seal of the Kohen Gadol, who represented the greatest degree of separation, kodesh kedoshim. Vayavdil Hashem Aaron kodesh kedoshim says the in the Aaron was separated from the rest of the people kodesh kedoshim, kedusha and tara. And that shows us what the mission of the miracle of Hanukkah represented. The miracle of Hanukkah represented the the supremacy of Leman Beis Hashem Eloi which was Kedusha. Leman Beis Hashem Eloi was polluted. HaKadosh house, the Beis Migdosh, was desecrated. We say in the in Nikbut Alai, we say Ufor Chaim Migdolai, they breached the walls and they contaminated all of the oil came the Kohanei Hashem the and they purified it and they tried to cleanse it and the way they cleansed it was by discarding the tumah, discarding the contaminated oil and after they fought a war in order to purify the inroads and the breaches in Teiraz soil and after they had to fight against the and against the Greek culture and Hellenistic culture that attempted to pierce and breach the wall of sanctity around the Holy Torah and they finally were able to repair those breaches and repair the walls they entered into the sanctuary and they had to physically repair the walls of the sanctuary and physically repair the breaches as well as symbolically erect the walls and throw out the contaminated oils and to redo these walls of separation and sanctity that surround the the Beis HaMikdash, the Kodesh, as well as the Kodesh Kedoshim, from this integration of the Greeks. The Greeks wanted to integrate their culture with Jewish culture. Came the Chash and they repaired that breach, and they redid the separation again. Mm -hmm. And therefore the message of Hanukkah, the theme of Hanukkah, is one of Kedusha. Kedusha means Kedoshim Tiyu. Precious, prushim to you. Erect Gedorim, erect fences. Kedusha and Tara are the opposite of the Tuma and of the pirzas which the Yevonin did. This was a battle against the Tuma. This was a battle against the pirzas of where partsu chaymos migdolai The war of the hashmanoiim was mainly about the sanctity and the purity of Jewish religion and Kedusha's Yisrael. And the miracle of the Pacha Hashemin came to symbolize that. We know how the Greeks even attempted to pierce the Kedusha of Kedusha Israel, of the holy matrimony of the Jewish people. And therefore this was a battle to protect the sanctity of all aspects of Yiddishkeit and Judaism. The Torah, Jewish marriage, the base Hamikdash, Kedusha and Tara. One can see further differences between Purim and Hanukkah. Purim occurred in Gauls, Purim occurred when the Jews were in the Persian Empire. They were part of Gauls. there was no base Hamikdash. Purim represented an external threat. It was a physical threat against the physical existence of the Jewish people, and it was an external threat. They wanted to destroy the Jewish people. It was an external enemy. It was a physical threat. When we're dealing with a physical external threat against the Jewish people, then it's and Achai V'reyoy. That is for the sake of my brothers and the sake of my friends. We have to unite. Then we have to unite and come together to face this enemy. To stave off this external enemy, this Achashverosh, this Homon, this Esau, this Amalek. For that we need Achdus, we need unity. We have to unite against them in order to vanquish them. But Chanukah occurred in Eretz Yisrael. It occurred at a time when the Beis Migdosh was... In existence was built The base HaMikdash wasn't destroyed It was merely breached and contaminated It wasn't a physical threat It was the threat to our soul The enemy wasn't merely an external enemy The enemy was an internal one as well Which sought to cut off Torah Israel. It sought to contaminate our religion To pollute the base HaShem Here where the enemy is coming to stand up against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, here where the enemy rears his head against base Hashem Elokeinu. When it's Laman, base Hashem Elokeinu. Then we have to do battle. Then it's Vaksha Tovloch, And that becomes the banner. The Jewish people have to have two banners. Two flags, if you will. And each flag has to be used in its right time. There's the flag of peace. The banner of Shalom, if you will. And there's the banner and the flag of Tov. Sometimes we have to use the banner and flag of Shalom, just like by Purim. Sometimes we have to use the banner and the flag of Tov, just as we find by Hanukkah. This is the dual message of Hanukkah and Purim. When to use the flag of peace and Shalom and unity, when to use the flag of Kedusha, even at the expense of peace, when it's Tov, and we have to use the banner of Tov, even though it may mean discord, but Kedusha sometimes requires Havdollah and it sometimes requires separation at the expense of peace. Therefore, Purim, which represented the threat of Laman Achai the threat against the Jewish people, then the mitzvah was Leich Kol Kolayudin, let's unite. But Chanukah represented a threat to Laman Be's Hashem Then it's Avak Shatovloch, the mitzvah then is Tiaru Es to purify the Kedusha that sometimes requires discord and it sometimes requires war against the internal enemy as well who has come to pollute the kedusha and sanctity and the tower of the Jewish people it's a different approach that we use to physical genocide from the approach that we use to a spiritual genocide and upon further examination we could relate this back to the menorah and we could see that it's consistent with what the Sforno says it's consistent with the theme of the menorah and it's not in contradiction Because when one examines the mitzvah of lighting the menorah, one sees there's a dual theme over there. Yes, there's a theme of mixture of unity. But the mitzvah is only when it's El Mulpenei HaMenorah Yo'Iru Shivas Haneros. Hashem says to Aaron, light all seven. But all seven doesn't mean that we accept all seven in any direction which they want to go. They have to face the middle. Only if it's Mulpenei menorah, Make sure that you light all seven facing the central stem. Then then all seven individual lamps will shine brightly and individually but if not then it won't occur that's what the Sforna says that if you do it, shall have is el when you face them all to the middle all Shiva Saneros, only then will all seven shine brightly kol hashiva your or elisrol then all seven will shine and bestow light Upon the Jewish people, the light of the individual of the, each individual faction is only acceptable and tolerated if it's if it's al mul hamenorah. It can't go in any direction at once. We don't allow um, each one to go off in his own direction. Yes, there's individuality, there's individualism in Yiddishkeit, and there can be seven different approaches. And seven, of course, is just a representative number. There can be any number of different approaches. As long as it's al-mulpnei as long as it all faces the central stem, then it's yo'iru shivas Haneros. Then we tolerate it all. Then we accept all segments. And then each one will shine brightly in his own individual way. Then individualism is a wonderful thing. And then there's shalom, peace, and harmony. But only when they're facing the central stem. Therefore, the menorah does represent Achtus Yisrael, but the mitzvah still requires Al-Mulpnei Ha-Menorah. It still requires that although there's Achtus, but not all forms of, of differences are tolerated, as long as they're all Mulpnei Ha-Menorah. When the or of the Yemenim, the or of the right wing, the or of the left wing, faces the central stem, then it's your, your Shivas hameneros, And this does not occur by itself. This requires effort. Once the right and the left face the central stem, then you have true light. That's the light that the Torah desires, the light of truth. Therefore the shalom that the menorah represents is a shalom of unity of purpose as well. Without that, there is no shalom. So therefore this issue of when to separate, of when there's pirud and when there's shalom, when there's achdus can already be seen in the menorah itself, and that's what Hanukkah is all about. And an interesting thing is that when the right wing faces the central stem and the left wing faces the central stem, you have a new phenomenon as well, which is that the right and the left are actually facing each other. Then you have true unity, true harmony. Because they're facing the central stem, they're facing the Torah, the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. By doing that, they're actually facing each other. That's true shalom, that's true peace and harmony amongst the Jewish people unity of purpose. The netziv applies this to the concept of what we nowadays refer to as Torah Umada. He says that the different stems of the menorah, the different branches rather, represent the different forms of wisdom. But they're all hewn out of the Torah. They all come from the Torah and they're all supposed to be for the purpose of the Torah. El Mul ha-menorah means that all forms of wisdom have to face and serve the purpose of the Torah. And have to be realized that they come from the Torah and for the purpose of u- utilizing it for the Torah, then all seven forms of wisdom shine forth, and all of them are appropriate. Mm-hmm. So therefore, although the Levim took up the sword, and they killed their own brethren, nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says regarding the Levim, Yoram Mishpatech Oli Yaakov Israel They are actually the teachers, the inspiration for the rest of the Jewish people. They teach the Jews. They become their mentors and their teachers and their guides. They kill Jews, but they're also the teachers of them. And therefore, the Kohanim, even though they could be considered very zealous, nevertheless, they're the ones that bless the Jewish people. And they bless the Jewish people with the greatest blessing of all, Yosein Lucho Shalom. That's part of Birchas Kohanim. And part of the bracha that we recite before Birchas Kohanim is Levorechas Amoy Yisroel Bi Ahavah, with love. In other words, although sometimes they are kanoim, they nonetheless have to have the love of the Jewish people, and they're the ones that are empowered, commanded and empowered to bless the people of Shalom with true peace, peace that comes from this form of dignity as well. And therefore we also find Pinchas, who was considered the Kanoi par excellence, who killed Zimri, his fellow Jew. Nonetheless, HaKadosh Baruch who gives him a special, a special reward. I'm giving him my covenant of shalom of peace. The reward for Pinchas for doing an act of kanois was shalom, was peace. True shalom comes about when we face HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we're united together facing Hashem, the central stem. Niksaf Sefer in the beginning of Parsh's Emor says a very similar idea. We find regarding Aaron HaKoyim that it says... In Pirkei Ovis about him, having Aaron, Oyev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, Oyev the the Torah. The one should be from the disciples of Aaron to love peace, pursue peace, love people, bring them close to the Torah. It says on this the Ksav The question he says from the Taisis Yontiv that the words Rodev Shalom imply pursuing peace, not in a manner where you want to achieve peace, but rather Rodev Shalom. You chase peace. You chase peace away. Which is the opposite of Oev Shalom. says on this Tiksaf Cipher, both things have to be true. And Aaron fulfilled both of them. Achdos, unity is good for Tadikim, says the Gemara. It's good for them, it's good for the world. Disunity, discord amongst the wicked, that's good for the world and it's good for them. Therefore, whenever there is a gathering of Tzadikim, to maintain and to preserve our religion, that's good and that's wonderful. But when Rishoyim unite, that's gonna cause the destruction of the religion. That's bad. Aaron, by nature, loved peace. He was an olay shalom. He didn't wanna see discord and this harmony and this unity. He did everything, as Khazal elaborate, how he went to pursue peace and to bring people together and to unite people and to unite husband and wife. But sometimes, as the Ksav Sefer, when it was necessary for the benefit of Klal Yisrael, Of Judaism Of the religion Sometimes he did Against his nature Against his will Against what he normally did Which was He would cause Sow the seeds of discord And disharmony And break people apart Because he would want to break apart The Kesher Rishoyim The bond of the wicked And therefore Although by nature He loved people And this of course Was his main goal But his main goal was To bring them close to the Torah he was Oyvus Abrayos, Um macarved the Torah. His main goal, his main mission in life, was to bring people to the Torah, and therefore sometimes that required an Ohev Shalom approach. Sometimes that required a Rodev Shalom approach. Sometimes it required loving peace. Sometimes it required chasing peace, chasing it away. Sometimes it required bringing people together to unite and to bring harmony. Sometimes it was a time to cause discord and disharmony. And therefore, both of these things are true in Aaron. He was an OEv Shalom, he was a Rodev Shalom. By nature, he was an OEv sabrios but his main mission was Mekarven Lutora. And therefore, since both of these themes come together in Aaron HaKoyin, he was the one commanded by Hashem, Light the menorah. Light the menorah with the proper appreciation of the purpose of lighting the menorah. Vayas Kain Aaron, a p'nei ha-menorah, helonei Aaron did as he was told. He made sure to unite the Jewish people, but only mul menorah, only when it was mul menorah. In other words, the intent of Aaron was always man Hashem. He was Makar es abrios He always brought people together, but he did it only when the shalom of all of them was facing the neroem tsoi was facing the central stem. That's why it says Aaron menorah hello he did as commanded by Hashem, Kashatiba Hashem Asmosha, where he lit the lights. He was Makar of the people, and he united them. It was always when it was Mul Paneha If not for that, he wouldn't unite the people. But here we come to a very, very difficult area. And this is something which a person has to be extremely careful with. And the Ksaf Seifer somewhat hints at it as well, where he says that Aaron had to, by nature, be an Oevis Sometimes he did an Owe shalom approach, sometimes he did a Rode Shalom. But he was always deep down on Owe V'shabrius. In other words, his natural inclination, his nature, by nature he always wanted peace and harmony. He didn't like to fight. He didn't enjoy war. This wasn't something which he was, by nature, an argumentative person, or a person that, that by nature, would seek discord and disharmony. By nature, he was a very flexible, tolerant person. He was an Oevisabrios by nature. But he would sometimes force himself to work against his nature to, seed the, to sow the seeds of discord and disharmony. And therefore, the lesson from this is that a person by nature should be an Oevisabrios. That's why it is Oevisholem, Rodev Sholom, By nature, you have to be an oh, Sometimes you have to work against your nature, but that should always be the underlying inclination of the person. And therefore one has to be very careful not to let the battles and the zeal when it's required to deteriorate and to degenerate into a personal vindicativeness and into a personal um, agenda of hate and of fighting and of discord and disharmony. And this can occur very very readily. The Kinas Hashem and the Sinas Rishoyim could easily degenerate to a regular envy and jealousy and to petty bickering and strife and to what we call Sinas Chinam, hatred for no good reason. And this is something which happens very often. And for that reason, some of the Mephoshim explained that when it says that Hashem said regarding Pinchas, I'm going to give him my covenant of peace. The reason for this was Because the act of Pinchas, of Kanois, very readily leads itself to making an impact on him of of having a bad temper, of being a cantankerous person. And therefore he needed a special siyata deshmaya, a special gift from Hashem to maintain his equilibrium in order to restore his sense of calm, serenity and peace and brotherhood. That it shouldn't degenerate and that his midos should not degenerate and deteriorate to one of being a bickering, argumentative, petty person. Therefore, Hashem says, I'm going to give him a special blessing of shalom in order to, that he should regain his composure, regain his sense of brotherhood and peace and tolerance, and that he shouldn't turn into a petty, vindictive person, and that his midos shouldn't be ruined. For that reason, we find that the laws of Kanois are haloch of Ein Marenken, we don't recommend the course of Kanois. Yes, the Haloch sometimes it requires Kanois, but we don't recommend it because it could lead easily to a degeneracy of midos of a person's character traits. Mm-hmm. That's why there has to be a special emphasis by Aaron to say that by nature, his nature was one of Mu'urivim Abrios, of getting along with people, of Oeva Abrios. If anything was against his nature when he had to do battle, when he had to fight, and therefore when he had to break people apart, he did it with pain, he did it with anguish, he did it with suffering. Kanoi Poggin was a very difficult halocha. We paskin it, but we don't recommend it. Because it could easily lead to petty bickering and strife. And it easily degenerates from a machloikis l'shem shamayim to a machloikis shalol l'shem shamayim. That happens very often and quite readily. The Parshas Hazinu as well as in his Hagdolmah to stresses this point and he elaborates on it and he explains that the Khurban Bayi Sheini which we say came about from Sinas was a degenerative process. It wasn't merely that people just hated each other. It led to bloodshed. There was fighting. There was civil war. There was civil war and there was all kinds of petty bickering. But he said that was a degenerative process that each one would start referring to his fellow man that he didn't like as a Tzaduki as a Kaifer as a Min as an apikiris. Then it's Nitziv in Parsazinu and his Hagdama to Bereshis elaborates on this and he talks and also in Bamidbor in a few places he mentions this and he says that what caused the final destruction of Ba'a Sheni and of the Jewish people and this is something which is with us to this very day is something which is a result of a degenerative process of even tzaddikim. People that were righteous, but they became intolerant. And when they didn't like what somebody else did, they would immediately accuse him of being a tzeduki, of being a kaifer, a min, and a piquiris. And that was a phrase that was bandied about and thrown around from one person to the other. And of course that led to a degenerative process of, of strife and bickering that ultimately led to bloodshed and led to the destruction of of And this he says is something which to this very day we suffer from. This has caused many, many churbonos, this kind of bickering and fighting that starts off L'Shem Shemayim but degenerates to Shalom L'Shem Shemayim. And we find how this began in the very beginnings of Klal Yisro. Yaakov Ovinu successfully staves off the enemy, the external enemy. He fights and he vanquishes all external foes. He fights Esav, the Sar Shal Lovon, Shechem. But then we find BK Shiakov, Layshev, Bishalva, Kavtsalav, Rugzah, Yosef. He finally vanquished and conquered all of his external enemies. But came the internal enemy, and it reared its ugly head, Sinas Achim, Sinas Chinam amongst the brothers, and that caused the destruction of his family in a sense that it brought them down to Egypt, and it was the cause of the first exile. And as a result of this internal strife amongst brothers, they went into Gauls. they went down to Egypt, and they became subjugated and enslaved. And that's what caused the khurban for all generations. Therefore, when Yosef accuses his brothers of being guilty, of being miraglin, of spies, he's almost referring to the future miraglin. And the future miraglin was the source of Lashon hara, of viewing things in a bad light, putting a bad spin on things, looking at everything in a bad perspective. And that's what the Miraglim were all about. And that occurred on Tisha B'Av. And Hashem says this is going to be a a time and a source of mourning for all generations. And all future Chorbanos, for all future generations, occurred on Tisha B'Av. And as the Balaturim already points out in Parshish Biketz, Miraglim Atem, he tells his brothers, Vloyani, you are Miraglim, but not me. Because Yoshua, who comes from Yosef, was not Ba'atas Miraglim. He was not part of the council of the Miraglim. But in other words, what we see is that just as the Miraglim, through their Lush and horror, through their bad spin on things, caused the Khorban for all future generations of M'chiel a mourning and a crying, and a Tishabah for all generations, for all Khorban, likewise, Acha Yosef, through their hatred of Yosef, they likewise caused. Of the they likewise caused future mourning and they likewise caused gullus, and they became the source or this Sharish, the cause of what they suffered from, the sin which they suffered from, which is this internal bickering, became the cause of all future Khorbanus and of finally of the Khorban Ba'i The Kina, the envy of Acha Yosef and their hatred. Was the shorish Was the mekor? Was the root and the cause for all churbanos, and especially the churban of bai sheni, which came from that same root cause. For that reason, we could now understand what Rabbeinu Baha'i says at the end of Parshas Miketz, and it's brought down in many other forms as well. That the atonement of the ten brothers of Yosef came later in the time of of churban ba'i sheni was the asar haruge malchus the ten martyrs that had to die and suffer torture as a result of the sin of the ten brothers of Yosef that sold him into slavery. And therefore, the uh, Rebbeinu Baha'i says that there's a correspondence between them. The two correspond to each other. There's a correlation between them. Mm-hmm. And we can understand it with what we've been saying now because the sin chinam is what caused Khurm Bay Sheni. And that sin chinam found its root cause at its very beginning by Ache Yosef, the sinas Ache Yosef caused their descent to Egypt. That became the root cause, the Shoresh, the Makor for all Goliaths for all churbanos, and the frat, specifically the churban Bay Shani, where the sin of uh, of Baisheni is very similar to the sin of Ache Yosef, sinas chinam. Therefore, the asar haruge malchus had to come about as a form of a kapor and atonement on the mechiras Yosef because Churban Sheni came about at its root cause with the sale of Yosef Ache Yosef Asara and the Asara Haruge Malchus is one and the same and one was the cause of the other what's even more incredible is that the divisiveness already began and reared its head amongst the family of the Chashmanoim themselves within two generations the grandchildren from the Chashmanoim already became Tzedukim. Mm-hmm. The base Chashmanoim themselves turned to civil war amongst themselves. The Gemara at the end of Masech Sita, the Gemara in Bavakamadav Pei Beis and in Menachas Samach Daled, talks about the fight between Horkunus and Aristobulus, the two brothers, that they had a civil war and as a result they brought the Romans in. As a result of their own bickering and their own civil war, they brought in the Romans and once the Romans came in they never left and they slowly crept in into a greater and greater degree of control over Eretz Yisrael until finally they totally dominated Eretz Yisrael and they were tyrannical and they ran Eretz Yisrael unto the point of where they destroyed the base Hamikdash and they exiled the Jewish people and this all began from the base Hashem themselves because their original Kinnah their original fight the original fight against the Mesiavnen unfortunately, within a couple of generations, turned into civil war amongst themselves. And that civil war amongst themselves was the first cause of what brought Rome in, which ultimately led led to Roman domination and to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So it's ironic how the war of the Hashemunayim amongst themselves had the opposite effect of the war of the Hashemunayim against the Mesyavnim, Whereas the, when they battled against the Mesiavnim, they purified and they rededicated the temple and they were able to cleanse Eretz Yisrael and they were able to achieve liberty and independence, something which they hadn't had previously. That battle was a Melchomel L'Shem Shemayim. That was a Machleikas L'Shem Shemayim. That was a battle for the sake of heaven, which liberated Eretz Yisroel. was until that point, Eretz Yisrael was either under Persian domination or under Greek domination. That was the first time during the entire second temple era which they achieved a degree of liberation and independence that occurred in the time of Yehuda Maccabee when they achieved this independence and liberation from the Greeks and they were an independent nation at that point but it was very short lived that independence but that came about from a war of liberation a civil war which was but within two generations it already started to turn into internal bickering into civil war war amongst themselves. And that had the opposite effect. Not only didn't it lead to any kind of liberation and independence, but it destroyed what liberation and independence they had. It brought the Romans in. The Ramban, in the beginning of Pasha's Vaishlach, in effect, although with a slightly different theme, talks about the fact how we brought the Romans in and we caused our own downfall. And the Ramban in Pasha's B'chul K'osai Perik Chava Pasik elaborates on this how we ourselves brought the Romans in and caused our own doom. Another irony is what we're saying, how the sinas chinam ultimately led to each person accusing each other of being a tzeduki, which ultimately led to the destruction of Ba'aysheni, as the netziv says. Who were the tzedukim? The tzedukim, in a sense, were a kind of a mutation of the misyavnin. The misyavnin were interested in Greek culture and in Hellenistic culture, and they were interested in redoing Judaism into a Greek... the Tzedukim were Jews that they liked certain elements of of, uh, modern society which in those days was Hellenistic but they denied Tarashabalpeh and certain other things and the Tzedukim were in a sense a mutation and a descendant a spiritual descendant of the Mesyavim and this Tzeduki sect ironically even claimed members of the Hashminoy household that from the descendants of the original Chashmanoyim who fought against the Misyavnim, they themselves, the descendants of the original Chashmanoyim, became Tzedukim which were the spiritual descendants of the Misyavnim. And how could this be that the descendants of the Chashmanoyim who fought against the Misyavnim, that their own descendants should become Tzedukim which were the descendants of the original Misyavnim? Yochanan Kohen Godel became a Tzaduki and many other members of the Hashminoy household became Tzadukim and here their grandfathers fought with Mesiras Nefesh with total dedication and self sacrifice to purify Judaism, to fight against the misyavnim, to fight for the kedusha of the Torah and for the purity and the sanctity of Judaism and these same Hashminoyim who sacrificed their lives for the purity of Judaism against the Misyavnim came their own descendants, and they, Rachman Islam became Tzedukim. They became, they went over to the camp of the enemy, of the spiritual enemy. How can this be? How can this have occurred? And possibly, that's a result of what we've been talking about. That the same way that a Machloikis and the Melchom Hashem Shemayim can change and degenerate to a Melchom Lashem Shemayim, and the kanois and the zeal could turn into petty kanois and into petty hatred, into sinas chinam, to the point of where sheni is destroyed as a result of this sinas chinam, where each one starts accusing his fellow Jew of being a tzeduki, as the nitziv says. We see how great this danger is. And as a result of this danger and this degeneracy, this deteriorative process, that's why it affected the Hashmanoi household. How great then is this danger of Machloikis L'Shem shemaim and Milchomo L'Shem shemaim? Kanois, Halacha Ve'en Morinkeim. It's not a recommended course. When a person has to do it, he has to do it with fear and trepidation. And he has to do it against his nature. He shouldn't enjoy it. He should feel pain that he has to do it. If he has to go against a fellow Jew, he should feel anguish in his soul. He should feel pain. He needs a special blessing of Hashem, of Hineni Nois Nolibrisi Shalom, to regain his composure, to regain his equilibrium. Because if not, then that Kanois could easily sink and degenerate into Sinas Chinam, which leads to the destruction of a Beis Hamikdash. Rather than building a Beis Hamikdash, it causes the destruction. Proper zeal, proper Kanois, builds a Beis Hamikdash. The wrong zeal, the wrong machloikis, the wrong battle, the wrong war, the wrong sinah, leads to sinas chinam, which causes the Hurban Beis mikdash. It's a pellet. How on the one hand, machloikis could actually save a Beis mikdash, and on the other hand, when the machloikis degenerates, it could lead to the destruction of the Beis mikdash. How the battle of the Hashem with mesiras Nefesh against the Mesiavim purified the Torah and led to the miracles of Hanukkah. And led to, led to a rededication. And it led to all kinds of miracles and salvation. And it could easily degenerate and deteriorate into civil war and civil strife, which led their own descendants. Rather than becoming dedicated to the purification of Judaism, they became tzedukim. Those great heroes, fighters of the Mesyavnim, with messias Nefesh, who fought against the Mesyavnim, their own descendants went over into the camp of the Tzedukim. And this all results from civil war from the is Shalom L'Shem Shemayim. How great is the danger? How cautious we must be? How much care we must take to make sure that wars that are done for the sake of heaven should not degenerate into petty quarrels and into internal strife and bickering Shalom shem Shemayim. And how easy this is for this to occur. The dangers are great. The consequences are devastating. This then is the lesson that we must learn and the caution that we must uh, exercise in these two lessons of Hanukkah and in the two lessons of the menorah. How to strike a balance between achdus, between friendship and tolerance and unity, shalom, peace, which is symbolized in the menorah, as well as when we must take up the battle to preserve sanctity. When should a person be tolerant? When should a person be flexible? When is compromise the call of the day? When should a person be tolerant and exercise all kinds of manners of compromise for the sake of peace, for the sake of unity? And when does a person have to be a kanoi? When do you have to become stubborn, strong, forceful, inflexible, firm, to do the battle for heaven and how that should be done. This is the great lesson from the two aspects of Hanukkah, from the two aspects of the Menorah, as well as the contrast between Hanukkah and Purim. The general principle is that whenever it's L'manachai v'reyoy, when we're faced with an external foe, when we're faced with extermination, that's uh, an external foe that's coming to kill us, to liquidate us, then we must unite in battle. But when it comes to the Man Ba Avaksha we must make the stand, preserve the sanctity of the Jewish people, but do it judiciously. Hanukkah teaches us the great salvations and the great miracles as well as the great dangers fraught with war and battle. Purim shows us how unity and the unification of the Jewish people with a sense of purpose can bring about a great salvation. Hanukkah teaches us that sometimes we must take up the battle for the preservation of the sanctity and purity of the Jewish people. But one should never be too complacent. One should never be too comfortable with battle. This should be against our nature. It should be, we should be done with the greatest of discomfort, with the greatest of pain, when one must take up the sword, when one must fight. It should be done against our nature, against our wills and desires. It should never be comfortable. It should be done with the greatest of pain. It should be done with the greatest of uh, anguish when this has to be done. Because if that is not the case, it could easily degenerate to all forms of strife and bickering. And that can lead to the greatest destruction of all from which we are suffering to this very day. That's the lesson of Hanukkah: Fight to preserve the sanctity of the Jewish people. But take caution and take great care never to let that deteriorate to, to petty quarrels and bickering and fighting amongst ourselves. Let us now go to another aspect of the lessons of Hanukkah. The Baruch in the beginning of Hilchas Hanukkah says the following. He discusses the question as to whether it's appropriate to have the celebrations of feasts and festivities on Hanukkah. The remorse says that the same way that the Nesim, during the dedication ceremony of the Mishkan, each of them made a celebration during his particular day of Hanukkah, of, cel- of dedication, of the initiation, is therefore to ma- appropriate to make a celebratory feast. In other words, we should make feasts to celebrate the dedication, and we make the howl and the haydoh part of the davening, as in order to celebrate the miracle of the Pach Hashemer. So the Bach asks, if that's the case, why is there not a mitzvah to have mishtivah just like on Purim? So he says the difference is because Purim the Gezerah, the sin of the Jews was because they enjoyed the feast of Achashverosh. And therefore, there was a decree against them by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to physically destroy them because they physically partook of the feast of Achashverosh. So there was a physical danger hanging over them. And because of the fact that they partook of forbidden pleasures and their bodies partook of physical pleasures that were forbidden, therefore the decree against them was one of physical destruction. When they did Shuva, and they afflicted their bodies by fasting, as it says in Esther al v'altishtu, don't eat or drink for three days. Therefore, when the salvation came, the celebration of that salvation was... Therefore, they celebrated the miracle of Purim by the appropriate way, which was to feast. Chanukah, on the other hand, the sin of the Jewish people was because... They were weakened in the Ravodas Hashem in the Mishk, in the Mesa Migdash. The Gezerah, therefore, was one of being Mevatel, the Avodah, of nullifying and abolishing the Avodah, as it brings out in the Brisa, where they abolished the Korban Tomid. And it says in the Brisa, furthermore, that they abolished the lighting of the Menorah. Because it says, Lahalos near Tomid, that it was supposed to be done on a daily basis, calls Manshim Adlikin Oyson Tomid owned him. So they told Antiochus, as long as they are able to light the menorah, Jews will always remain. Therefore, they wanted to abolish the menorah lighting. They contaminated, they polluted all of the oil, They were of the oil. When they did tshuva, and they sacrificed their lives for the sake of the avoda, Hashem therefore saved the Jewish people through the agency of the kohanim of the avoda, the veis Hashem. And therefore, the miracle was likewise came to them from the Neros in the Beis Migdash in place of the fact or because of the fact that they were willing to sacrifice their lives and they were willing to die in order to preserve the Avodah. Therefore a miracle occurred through the Kohanim who were the Ovde Avodah Beves Hashem and a miracle occurred in the menorah in the Neros of the Beis Migdash. Therefore, the celebration, likewise, is not one of physical feasting, but one of Harun which is the Avodah Shabalev. Because Tefillah nowadays in and Haidah is the replacement of the Avodah in the of mikdash, And therefore, we celebrate in the appropriate way with Avodah. That's what the Bach says. The Ramban, in the beginning of Pasha's Baalosuchah, says that when Aaron felt bad that he wasn't able to partake of the celebration of the Chanukah HaMizbech. Kodesh Baruch Hu says, Your portion is greater than theirs, explains the Ramban. That's referring to the fact that Hashem told Aaron that in the future, a greater Chanukah is going to occur, and that Chanukah is going to be one for all time. That was the Chanukah of the Hashem It was the rededication of the Temple, and that extends beyond the Beis HaMikdosh. That goes in the Darius, even after the Chorban. One of the things that the Greeks, the Yavonim, wanted to nullify and abolish was the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh, HaChodesh Hazelochem, was the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people in the land of Egypt. HaChodesh Hazelochem, Chlal Yisrael, is compared to the moon. As it says in the Rosh uh, of Kiddush Ha Chodesh, Sheheim Seyvat and Asyid and compared to the moon. That the same way that the moon disappears but then it renews itself and comes back fresh. Likewise, Klal Yisrael is always able to renew itself and come back fresh. Just like the light of the moon begins very small, but then becomes more and more powerful, that's the Kaya HaChidush of the moon. Likewise, Klal Yisrael has the same kind of Kaya HaChidush in each and every generation, even after Hurban, even after destruction, even after the Jews have been decimated and expelled and exiled, they're still able to start fresh and renew themselves and start all over again. Jews have the perpetual power to shine forth, to strengthen themselves, and to rebuild themselves. This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Aaron and says that through your children is going to come a new a new rebirth, a renaissance if you will, a rededication and a rededication that goes for all time, that in each and every generation they'll be able to rededicate themselves to strengthen themselves and to rebuild themselves, even after Chorban. Even after the Based on Hamikdash, there's still going to be a Hanukkah. Even after future korbanos, even after future persecutions and future decimations of the Jewish people and catastrophes, the Jewish people will still be able to rebuild. And that's what Hakadosh Baruch Hu told Aaron: through your children is going to come a rededication. This is a tremendous promise that He gave Aaron: that His children are going to be the cause and the impetus for this new rebirth, for this new renaissance of the Jewish people that will extend from generation to generation, and in each generation they can rebuild themselves. Shalchok Your portion is greater than theirs, because the Hanukkah Hanesiyim was each one did it for one day. They had their dedication, their, their renewal, their birth, their celebration for one day, for one generation, for one Mishcha. But the power of His Hatshosh, which Hashem was telling Aaron, is yours permanently, all the time. ha the koyach of chidush, of rebuilding. This is going to be yours for all time. This power of renewal of chidush comes to us in many guises. There is a chidush that applies to all of Kal Yisrael. And then there's the power of rebirth that each each individual can do for himself. There is a spiritual power of renewal an emotional one, the feeling of joy, of rededication, the joy of life, of feeling constantly young and invigorated, the ability to rebuild after Chorven that Klal Yisrael has, the ability of each individual to feel fresh and new and invigorated on a daily basis, the ability of a person to be Mechadish Chidush Torah, which is the greatest Chidush of all, especially when we talk about Torah Shebaal which, again, comes to us from Aaron and from the Kohanim, Yorwish Patechol Yaakov, that's where the human being is able to interface with HaKodesh Baruch Hu, with the Divine, with Torah, and he's able to contribute, so to speak, to the Torah itself, and it becomes his ability to renew and to invigorate and to be mechadish Chedushim. The Gemara Yumadav says, Chanukah <laughs> is not to be written down because Chanukah, is at its root Torah Shabbat. The war of the Greeks with the Chashmonaim was a war against the Torah Peh. They were willing to incorporate Torah Shabik Sav, the Septuagint, into their writings, into their culture. But Torah Shabalpeh is what they wanted to fight against. That's why they wanted to nullify Rosh Chodesh, Chodesh Hazalochem. The the secret of the menorah and the miracle of the menorah is the representation of human wisdom in the Torah, the ability of the Torah Shabal Pe, the Oron represented the Torah Shabik the Menorah represents the Torah Shabal Pe, the Koyach of Chidush of the human being in Torah Shabal This is what the Greeks fought against. This is what the Mitzvah HaKodesh HaZelochem gives the Jewish people. This is what each individual has for himself. And when a person does that, he's able to prevent himself from aging. He remains eternally young and fresh. He doesn't age, he doesn't deteriorate, he doesn't become old, but he stays fresh and vital throughout his life. As it says in Tehillim in the first capitol, He'll be a fresh tree constantly producing fruit. As it says in capitol Katomor Yifroch, Keres a Tzadic will forever sprout like a date-pound. He'll sprout forth in the house of Hashem. They'll remain young, even in old age. Fresh and youthful, they will be forever. Therefore, we see that the power of Chiddush, of this eternal youth, of this power of renaissance and rebuilding comes to us in many different ways. It applies to Klal Yisrael as a whole that so they can rebuild themselves even after countless destructions. They're able to reinvigorate themselves even after Chorben. Klal Yisrael remains eternally young and youthful. That's what Hoshea tells us in Perak Yodal of Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Kinar Yisrael Voaveyu. Klal Yisrael is compared to a youth. And Hashem loves him. This is a unique gift that HaKadosh Baruch who gave us at Hanukkah. Rededication not merely dedication, but rededication, constant renewal, constant chiddush to make a Chanukah at all times, in all generations. With this we could understand why we Paschal, like Beis Hill, that says that a person is supposed to light each night a new candle. Your madlik a new near every night, one, two, three, that's called moisif v'hoilich, to constantly build, to constantly add, to constantly give something new. Because the isoid of Chanukah is to add constant chidushim each day, each time, a new chidush, a new renewal, something fresh, something new, something youthful and young. Especially in Torah, we say, B'chol yom Torah is supposed to be new in your eyes every day, as if today Torah was given. It should be fresh and new and vital each day. Certainly when it comes to Torah Shabbat. We have a principle that says, "Ein beis hamedrash below chidush." You can't go by a day in the beis hamedrash without a new chidush. Chidush Torah is the greatest power that a human being has in this renewal of the Torah. That's the power of hakadosh hazelohem, the ability to actually do something new in a Torah manner, in a Torah way. And therefore, each day when we light a fresh candle, a new candle. A their chodosh that teaches us this lesson of his chatshus each and every day. That's called moizif v'hoilich. Renewal on a constant basis. The gift of Hanukkah, therefore, is Kinar yisro v'aveyu. Hashem loves us because of our youthfulness and our vigor. With this we could now understand what the Bach says. The sin of the Jewish people in the time of Hanukkah where the decree fell on us was because of the fact that we started aging and we started doing the mitzvahs in a manner of of an old person. We were misrashal, he says. We became lax and lazy in avoidance Hashem. We started doing it like it was something old. We started doing it by rote. We started doing it mitzvah anoshim We started doing it with a superficial manner, without the vigor and the freshness and the enthusiasm that Avodah Hashem requires. Therefore, the Gezeirah came upon us to be mevatel the Korban Tomid, to be mevatel the Menorah, because the Menorah represents this constant chidush, the ability of constant renewal and chidush Torah. And that's why the Medr says, kolzman sheheim adlikim heim omdim. As long as they're able to light it, they're going to remain. Jewish people are going to remain around if they could lie because Kina Israel, because they retain this eternal youth because the menorah represents this youthful vigor this Kayach HaChidush this youthfulness that the Jewish people have when you're able to be that, when you could nullify and abolish the Kayach HaChachos the youthfulness of the Jewish people then immediately they'll age they'll start deteriorating they'll become old and aged and through that they will die that's what they told Antiochus Therefore, they were mevatel; they nullified and abolished the candle, the lighting of the menorah, they were mitame, the oil, they contaminated it. And therefore, the Jewish people did tshuva through the chashmanoyim with their zeal and with their vigor and with their willingness to fight in a youthful, vigorous manner. The miracle came to them through the hadlokas Sam to symbolize this constant cycle of renewal and therefore they cleansed the base on Mikdash and they rededicated it they rededicated themselves they had this ability for constant renewal for renaissance for constant rededication so with the way we're explaining the Ramban we could now understand what the Bach says and that's why the miracle was the miracle of the menorah and that's why we celebrate it the way we do this lesson though is a lesson for life for every human being how a person could retain his youthfulness and his enthusiasm and his vigor and we see this theme in the Chumash in a number of places we find how Yosef HaTzadik is called a Ben Zikunim Targumunculus says he's a Bar Chakim that means he's a Talmud Chacham. that's why Yosef is also called a Nar, just like he Yisro it's basically a compliment it's a virtue it's something good to be a Naar, to be youthful and young. And that's why it says that Yosef was a Naar, just like we say, kinar Yisroel Yisrael v'aveyu. For that reason we refer to someone as a Talmud Chacham, not as a Chacham. A Chacham means that you're already set, you've already hardened. A Talmud Chacham means that you're always fresh, you're always in a state of growth, in a state of ascent. You're a Talmud Chacham. You're a student of wisdom. You're always learning, you're growing. You're still in your growing stage. You haven't become set in your ways, and therefore that represents the person who's in a state of growth and in a state of youthfulness. When a person is a Talmud mitchacham, he will always remain young. He'll always be a, he'll always be youthful. He'll always be a nar. For that reason, we find the term nar used in this kind of a context. It says regarding Yeshua, who was already in his middle ages at the time. Nar lo yomish he was a youth, a lad, who never departed from the tent. Which tent? The tent of the Torah, from the base of Medrash. That was Yeshua. He was a nar because he was a Talmud Chacham. And when a person is a Talmud Chacham, he retains his nar. He retains his youthfulness. As long as a person is learning, he's constantly growing. He's gaining. He's moving up, and therefore he's always a Talmud. He's always a nar. He's always youthful. He's always fresh. He's always vigorous, and this is a tremendous virtue for a person. But he's able to retain his youth that way. The Gemara on Shabbos Davkufun Beizom says, "Tanya Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yaisi Yomer, Talmidei Chachomim calls man shemaskinin chokma itroisefes That Talmidei Chachomin, the older they get, the more chokma becomes added to them. The more they grow in chokma. The more it becomes added to them. That means, as we said before, how the light constantly gets greater and greater strength. You add to it, you're growing. And that's true when it's Talmide Chachomim. That's what the Bryce over there says in Shabbos. Tanya Rabbi Talmide Chachomim. Not just Chachomim, but Talmide Chachomim. If you're a student of wisdom, then as long as you age, you're not really aging, you're not getting older. You're getting better. And therefore, you retain your youth, you retain your vigor, and you retain your vitality. You can be an old man, and you could still be called a nar. Like Yeshua was a nar, lo yomish mitaycha oiho. That is what it means to be a Talmud chochem. Kinar Yisrael, vo'avehu. avehu. And we find the expression of nar used by other people that were not young at that point. We find that Yehud in the beginning of Parshish Va'igash, Refers to Binyomin constantly as a nar. Many times he refers to him as a nar. At this point in his life, Binyomin was already the father of ten children of his own, and Yehuda is still calling him a nar. Yehuda is not that much older than him, and he's referring him to him as a nar, although he's already a father of ten children. Yitzchok, b'shasa kedas Yitzchok, according to Chazal, was thirty-seven years old, and he's still being called a nar. In other words, it doesn't mean you have to be very young to be called a nar. To be called a nar, in this context at least, is a mile, It's a virtue because it means that you have retained your freshness and vitality, and that's why Klal has this unique ability because it retains its freshness and vitality through all the generations. Therefore, Klal is called Kinar Yisrael Vo'aveyu. Therefore, likewise, Yosef Atzadik, at who was a Bar Chakim who was a Talmud Chacham? Therefore Yosef is called Anar as well, because he was a Talmud Chacham, And therefore later on, we find how Yosef is referred to as an Avrech, Av B'chochma, Rach B'Shonin, young yet very wise in wisdom. And we have seen that throughout Yosef's life, he has and he retains this ability to constantly start over again. To start over from scratch, to work his way up from the bottom up. This ability of chidush, the ability of renewal, of renaissance, of rebirth, of growing and starting over again and maintaining your cheerfulness is something that Yosef carried with him through life. And time after time again, he'd work his way up from the bottom up. He was in the pit, he was sold as a slave and he worked his way up through his master's household till he controlled the entire household of the Potipharah. He was then cast in prison and he worked his way up through the ranks in prison till he was able to be in control of the entire prison system. And then he was taken out and he became viceroy, second in command in Egypt. And throughout it all, we see how Yosef maintains his simchas hachaim, how he retains his cheerfulness, his good cheer, his grace, and his vigor and his smile so to speak, the way he communicated to people and the way he spoke with everyone Yosef maintains his cheerful attitude throughout, this comes from the power of being anar, the power of constant renewal and rebirth from the power of chidushim, the koyach ha'ishachos, and that's the power of a talmud chochom this is one of the lessons of Hanukkah. Now, one should point out at this point that although the being a nar in this context is a virtue, when the Torah refers to Yosef as a nar, of there Rashi says he does mycenaros, almost as if he's immature. The fact is that a byproduct of being a Talmud chacham, of being a student of wisdom, is that a person is not set in his ways And as a result, you could be prone to immaturity at times as a byproduct of this virtue. I heard for that reason once that that's the reason why we find many yeshiva bacham who although they are 15, 16, 17, 18 and in the rest of the world at that age they're already strapping young men who seemingly are mature, yeshiva bacham tend to be on the immature side. And the reason is that that's a byproduct of this concept of a Talmud Chochem. Since you're a Talmud, you're not set in your ways, you're a Nar, so you're, not, you're always searching and seeking and growing and gaining, so you're in a growing stage. There's a tendency, as a result, as a byproduct of that, although a negative byproduct, but a um, side effect, is a certain kind of immaturity, of mycenarus. Be that as it may, it's basically a virtue to have this Naris because it serves you well later on in life you therefore never really age and get old you retain your youthful vigor throughout life as we said calls <laughs> and in another sense you actually could retain your physical vitality the the medrash tells us at the end of Pasha's Chaara how Avram at 140 years old, by Avram by Isha, and it says how young and fresh and vigorous Avram Avinu was as a result of keeping the Torah. He was actually able to be physically young and vigorous and vital even at the age of 140. So the fact is that when a person retains this youthfulness, this Talmud this freshness, the freshness serves him well, even in a physical way, even in, and certainly in a psychological way. This then. Is one of the gifts of Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication, renewal, rededication, the ability to be mechadish, hazelochem. This that the Greeks wanted to take away from us, Rosh Chodesh, which is the ability of rebirth, like the moon, is a gift that Hakadosh Baruch gave us to be a new light, a new each day, to to light, to kindle a fresh light, hachodesh hazelochem to be like the moon fresh and vigorous and vital and to start over again and again and to retain our youth forever that's the secret of the eternity of the Jewish people that's one of the gifts of Hanukkah